welcome to the Leaf Report. This is Clark here. Hello, everybody. Okay, James, it is the eve of the season, eve of the 2021, no, 2020-2021 season. Um, what's like your excitement level right now? Is it like a seven or an eight? Or are, you, are you closer to 10? <laughs> I, I love the start of the season. I mean, I'm used to it happening in, in September and, and September is when yes. the fall has become one of my favorite months just because hockey comes back. It's, you know, it's my birthday. It's like you go back to school. There's like lots of stuff that's, you know, I've always loved that kind of start of season. Obviously this year is, you know what? We've talked about this before. It's not the same without the fans there. It's it's really not like for our jobs, just the buzz and like you go into a full building and you know, it, it, it the fans all being there in the atmosphere is a big part of what makes the whole thing special. So, um, but you know, my excitement level is very, very high. It's nice to get a little piece of normalcy like this back in your life. And, um, you know, I think the Leafs have a pretty good team. I think that they're better than last year. I think that the Canadian division adds a wrinkle to it that's going to make it really interesting and exciting. And it's going to be a short season, which is great. Um, and there's a lot of, I mean, look look at the roster. There's a lot of interesting storylines that I'm sure we're going to get into now that it's going to make our job interesting. And we can see on the site, like, how interested people are, too. Like, there were, the response the last couple of weeks has been fantastic. So... You know, I think there's a lot of pent-up enthusiasm for for this team and this season here in the city. Okay, well, so that's a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about on the podcast. We're going to go through kind of what happened in camp. We're going to play a game that I stole from the Low Post a basketball podcast, Do You Believe? Uh, and then we're going to kind of look ahead to the season and look at some of the expectations on certain individuals. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about your story today. This, we're recording this on a Tuesday about Austin Matthews and the transformation of his body. Uh, but let's let's start with training camp, kind of look backward uh, and kind of look forward at the same time. So the first question of the do you believe game that I have stolen is, do you believe in Joe Thornton on the top line? Yeah, no, I, I, I would certainly I believe in it as a worthwhile experiment for the first eight to 10 games of the season. And, you know, if it's a disaster or if it's not working as intended, then, then you rethink it. I, I like this look of the lineup in general, better than some of the ones that you and I were playing around with in the off season, where we had Joe Thornton as a third line center. And I think that there's more, uh, it's a more diverse uh, group. It, it's, it's a group that's the, the different lines have different functions and can do different things. And, I mean, nobody's going to be worried about that Thornton, Matthews, Marner line scoring or producing offense. Like it's it's going to be effective. It would be effective. Like I said, I think I said on the podcast last week, that line would score with an old boot there on the left wing, and you know, and I think Joe Thornton's got more left in his game than than a lot of people think. So, yeah, I, I believe in that. Yeah, I think the functionality thing is is kind of the important point here. That's that's really why. Clearly, they've they've put him there. Is they wanted to create a third line. We're going to talk about that third line in a little bit, uh, but they wanted to create a third line that could actually check top lines, take defensive zone starts, just absorb kind of a heavier burden than what they had last year. I'm going to look read you the top three lines. Actually, I can read you the top four lines from the opener last year, just as a, a comparison to what they have now. 
So line one last year, Janssen, Matthews, Nylander. Line two, Kapanen, Tavares, Marner. Line three, Mikheyev, Kerfoot, Moore. Line four, Timoshov, Shore, Goche. So like the top three lines are, are, are similar. I think that that third line is better when you take um, Zach Hyman in place of Trevor Moore. The fourth line is clearly a lot better than it was. But like you said, like it, it almost doesn't matter who play, who plays with Matthews and Marner. Like you saw in that exhibition scrimmage over the weekend, they just like they just look like something else. Like they're just pinging back and forth. The puck is moving. Marner had the puck all the time, and that was kind of one of the concerns we talked about last week that I wondered about. And and you know, there's, we'll still see. Uh, but if he's going to have the puck all the time, he's going to be shooting. Like it, it almost anything that Thornton adds will just be kind of extra. Yeah, and I, I think that you know people are looking at his last season in San Jose when he was playing with two not very good players on one of the worst teams in the NHL, and I don't think yeah. you can read that much into that year. And and people are also looking at his birth certificate and saying he can't do it. But I mean, like Joe Thornton has defied the odds to now, and there are a few select very. I mean, the other thing you got to keep in mind is that Joe Thornton was one of the best, probably three or four players in the world. For a period of his career, and the thing is, maybe is the that, best at one point. Yeah, did he win the heart? I think he did, right? Yeah, he that won year the heart. He got, that year he got year traded he, to San Jose. The year he got traded, right? Um, what I, I, analytics people talk a lot about regression and about a lot about underestimating how much age can have an impact. But the other thing that they say is that if you start from a very, very, very high ceiling, if you are an Alex Ovechkin or a Yarmir Yager or you know, take your pick of the guy, Zidane Chara, the very best, yeah. your diminished age, you know, you can still be a pretty effective player. And I still think that Joe Thornton can be a third line player at, was he 41 or 42? I think he's 41. 41. You can, and you look back, you know, two years ago, his, his second to last season with San Jose, he had 51 points in 73 games, I believe. He played almost yeah. 16 minutes a game. He was on the second line. That team went to the third round of the playoffs. That team almost won a Stanley Cup with him in a very, very prominent role. And it wasn't like they were carrying him. He was a very effective player. And that's not that long ago. And there's enough things, if you look at you know, the, the, the data on his year last year, that it looks like kind of an anomaly. And he was playing with, with LeBanc and Sorensen, and it, it, was, it was a complete gong show. So I, I think he's going to surprise people, honestly. I, I think that he's going to be a lot more effective than people think. Well, anything he, he does give them is a bonus, like for 700 grand, like it's, it's a no brainer. And like, just while you're talking, I'm thinking about uh, when Patrick Marlowe came to Toronto and why you could kind of see the slide, the elements of Patrick Marlowe's game that made him stand out in the past. Like he's an unbelievable skater. He had great hands. Like that stuff started to slip. And with Thornton, the stuff you're, you're wondering about uh, with age like he's never relied on his foot speed. It's always just been his body and his mind, like how big he is. And so it, it, it makes you think that he can last or, or fit with those guys just because of how well he sees the ice, how well he passes the puck. Uh, and worst case, they have to move him. And if they do have to move him off that line, it'll be interesting to see where they would put him. I, unless this, this Kerfoot line blows up, maybe it's with Tavares. Anyway, um, let's get to the next question. Do you believe in Travis Dermott over Miko Lettinen on the third pair? Yeah, I do. I, I, I don't think 
Miko Lettinen, there was a lot of fanfare around him, you know, KHL defenseman of the year, but he was never a guarantee. You know, he was, he's 27 years old. He's taken a long time to get to the level he's at now in the KHL. And to me, I mean, we, we haven't been able to watch a, a, a lot of training camp, which is a bit frustrating because I think we'd have a better, better handle on all this stuff if we had. Yeah. But, you know, isolating him and watching him closely in that scrimmage, he looks kind of like a European defenseman. He looks like a Cali Rosen or something. He looks like one of those guys that's come over. The adjustment is really, really big. And I don't know if he's going to get it or not. And we're judging on not a large body of work, but he he looks a bit fish out of water to me. And and Travis Dermott, yes, it looks a lot better. I mean, that was my, I don't know what, like he didn't look that fast. Lettinen, he looked uncertain. He looked like, you know, the four checkers were going to be on top of him really quickly. And um, as Sheldon Keefe said, I mean, they're, they're confident in him on the power play, but but right now that's about it. And I think what you do, Jonas, is, you know, you got your first game against Montreal and then you got back-to-back against Ottawa. And you got all these guys and everyone's going to be talking about, if, if the Leafs stay fully healthy, that's great. But it also creates this storyline that, well, why isn't Nick Robertson playing? Why isn't Rasmus Sandin playing? Why isn't, you know, et cetera, all the guys on the taxi squad, why aren't they playing? Um, I think what you got to do, very condensed schedule. It's about, it's about, I was looking at it yesterday, it's about 10%. Yeah, a little bit more than 10% more condensed than last year. They're up to 3.38 games per week on average in the league. Normal year, it's like 3.08. Um, so you're cramming in an extra 0.3 games every week. Um, you're going to have some back-to-backs thrown in there. Uh, I had my counting on the back-to-back games wrong last week, by the way. I think they have, someone said they had eight or nine. No, that's okay. I just It's my fault. I just looked at it quickly and they have eight or nine. So it's... You know, it's like 14% of their season or something. It's not it's not onerous. But anyway, I'm on a tangent here. They got Montreal first. Then they got back-to-back against Ottawa. Ottawa is the consensus weakest team in their division and one of the weakest teams in the league. They're just young. They're rebuilding. It's fine. It's not an indictment of the Senators. But I think what the Leafs need to do is that when they have those opportunities where it's a back-to-back and you're playing a weaker team, give Nick Robertson an opportunity. Give Miko Lennon an opportunity. See what some of these maybe maybe you can work Travis Boyd in there. They don't have a lot of flexibility up front because of waivers and, and everything, but give some of these other guys an opportunity, give them a taste, uh, make sure they're getting into a game every two weeks, and and I think they'll be fine. I think that that that's what they're going to need to do. Yeah, I started texting you moment like in the first five minutes of that scrimmage with kind of alarm about letting in, and like you don't want to overreact and like. It's it's one's exhibition, but like because of how how tight camp was, and because there's no exhibition games, and because it's a fifty six game season, you're playing the same teams. Like they can't they can't wait for him to be ready. And like you said, like he he just didn't look ready. Like and you think of everything he's trying to do. Like he's trying to adjust to a new league, new competition, new ice. Like there's just so much happening at once: new systems, new coach. Um, that to think he would be able to do it probably was an assumption. Well, I don't even think we made the assumption. Like it's something we've written about that he was no sure thing. I'll be curious to see if you're right though, because I, I would be a little nervous if I was Sheldon Keefe, even just to put him in against Ottawa, like the, the first week, because well, you if he looked like minutes. that, yeah, but like he can, they can score on you in 12 minutes. Like it can cost you like, if, and if that's the tough part is like the only way he's going to get adjusted 
is to play. Now they they might say, well, we're going to get him into more practices, and the more he practices with an NHL team, he'll get more comfortable, and and that may be true. But like, they need to play him to for him to get comfortable. It's like the the chicken and the egg thing. So so we'll see. And and you know, I, I wonder um, if the, this was the plan, James. Like, I I don't know if you agree with that. Um, just to kind of motivate Travis Dermott. Like, I wonder if this was what they were going to do all along. And unless like Lettinen blew the doors off at camp and looked like he was so ready to play that they were always just going to start with Travis Dermott. And this was just a way to kind of send him a message and let him know, like, you're going to have to play well to play. Mm, so. I think too much was made of what they were doing in camp. I think that what Sheldon Keefe, I think Sheldon Keefe was being honest when he said he wanted to see more of some of the newer players. He wanted to see more of Lettinen and, and see how he looked and, really get an understanding of yeah. how he was going to fit. Like, I think they wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt to see. Like, sure. Sheldon Keefe has coached Travis Dermott for the Marlies. He had him for two and a half seasons. The Leafs, he had him for a half a season. He knows Travis Dermott really, really well. And there are there are some things that they where Travis Dermott can get better that they want to see him get better at. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if they... I don't know if they I, – I mean, I think the motivation is going to be there regardless. And there's going to be someone sitting there if you have a bad game that's going to be coming in. So, um, Yeah, but like think of – think of, put yourself in, the, in his situation. So you come into camp the first day and you're on the fourth pair and some guy from Europe is like playing ahead of you. You'd be like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I'm better than this guy. Like I'm going to – like I'm going to play harder. I'm going to – yeah, like you, you're challenging me. I'm going to take the challenge. That that may – I think you, that – You may be right. Yeah. Like, I think that is how yeah. he feels. I mean, I, I, I think that – yeah, so you give That's him a little bit feel. of a chip on, you give him a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and you know, I, I think Dermot feels like he's probably better than Bogosian and and Justin Hall as sure. well. So you know, now it's let's show it, right? Like show what show what you can do. So Dermot's got a lot of nice tools, but he's never proven to me that he's more than a third pair guy. And this is a huge year for him because I think if he doesn't take the next step he's probably not in the organization after this. So, and, and if he does take a step, then he could be part of the solution for them in the future. Well, if he has a really good year, it, it puts them in an interesting situation with expansion as to like, do you expose Muzzin? Do you expose Brody? Like, do you change your strategy? I think strategy? you do some sort of a side deal or something. You, you find a way to, yeah, or maybe like you do the four and four. Or, yeah. Well, you make a good side deal, not one of those shitty ones that, the Florida Panthers made the last time. All right, let's move to our next do you believe? Do you believe in the Leafs new defensive trio? So James, just maybe you can help me brainstorm. I can't do this checking line. I need a new word to describe it, so I'm not using checking line, so I'm just if you can help me brainstorm a new way to describe that kind of line, that would be great. But so do you believe in blank line? Uh shouldn't it be belief? I think you should change the format for this. No, I don't do puns. I'm not you. (laughs) Or Paul. Do I believe? Hmm. Um, I'm going to have to think about the name. I haven't put a lot of thought into that. Okay. I'm trying to do something with the initials and not getting anywhere. But you want a different name to describe like what that line does. Because they're not just a checking. Same with the top defensive pair. Like the shut. I don't want to use shutdown pair. Like I I just. But that's a. What about shutdown line? There you go. Oh, no. Well, that's not bad. That's not <laughs> two bad. way shutdown lines better. I mean, the one the thing I need better. the thing I need to see is do, do you think that that third line gets the toughest competition? Do you think they play against other teams' top lines and they get hard matched? And the problem that uh, one coach pointed out to me from another team, 
he was looking at what they were doing and he said, well, you don't want to play that line as many minutes as the other team's top line is going to get. So you can't really, I think it's going to be more like a hybrid situation where they eat some of the defensive zone starts and um, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be quite like, like if, if if the Leafs play the Oilers, the Kerfoot, Hyman, McKayev line is not going to play McDavid 20, 20 minutes a game. Like that's, that's not what they're trying to do. They're just, they're trying to give the coaching staff more tools in their toolbox and you look at that lineup that that you laid out there last year. Um, they were they were kind of in a spot, and and you know some of the people I've talked to around the league watched the Leafs against Columbus, and they said you know they didn't really have, they didn't really feel like they had three lines that they could trust in all situations. They they felt like oh, they had one, two. maybe two. Uh, two. They felt like they had to shelter too many other lines. And now I, I don't know if you saw it. There was a I wish I, I I wish I had the person's name. Um, someone I read this morning took the analytics uh, war and and GVSA and like some of the new stats, and they ranked every line combination on every team in the league by first line, second line, third line, fourth line. The Leafs' first line came as the second best line in the league. They were behind Tampa. The Leafs' second line came in, I think, fourth, I want to say. And the Leafs' third line came in, I think, fifth. So they had their first three lines came in in the top five in terms of, you know, analytics and some of the statistics. The fourth line was not very good. They were like 20th or something like that. I mean, it's – but the fourth line is going to be a, kind of a hodgepodge of different guys. We don't know what Barabanov is going to be. Um, but I think that, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about with Thornton is that if you can spread VC and Thornton out to your top two lines and and make the guys that are making all the money carry the mail, you can build a pretty good third line. And I, I do believe in attempting the top three lines that they've got. I do think this is the right way to go. I do think it's it's smart what they're trying here. I don't think it's like with Thornton. I don't think it's a guarantee to work, but I think it, it makes the most sense to start the season this way because if it does work, the Leafs are going to look really, really good, and they're going to be very hard to play. And that's what you want to have. Yeah, it's what I think it's what you said. Um, it's like, so McDavid, let's say McDavid and his line come out for an offensive zone faceoff. You can give Kerfoot that uh, a handful of times or, or how, however many times you want throughout the game. But then, like, you're going to put Austin Matthews in that line out in the offensive zone, and let's say McDavid and his line hop out and it's in Toronto. You're not going to change it. You're, you're, you're good with that. But if you can just get that line to swallow up some of those defensive bit, zone yeah. starts a little bit, like I, I still think you'll see Matthews against top lines quite a bit here. Like you're not really worried either if you're on the road and, and Tavares is, is out there for a defensive zone draw. Like VC and Nealander, not great defensive wingers, although we'll see about VC. Um, I think the real question is Kerfoot. Um, he's he's really smart, obviously. It's like, is he going to be strong enough? To, to kind of handle some of these guys like McDavid, yes. Dreisaitl. Like some of these guys are really big and Kerfoot is not big. He's not that strong, but he's smart. And he's got two of these kind of big bodies with him. And I bet they'll play a lot with, with Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall. Those are two big guys. So maybe like you pair him with all these different elements. And because he's so smart and he can read the play, like he can get by. I didn't really like Kerfoot against Columbus. I mean, that was kind of like a physical grinding team, and I didn't think he had a great series. And, you know, there were 
there there were concerns in the organization kind of that he is small and that you put him at center and so he's going to have to he's going to have to prove that he can do it but i think if you look at all of their options though jonas like what he's the best option they don't you know he, there's no other option unless you want pierre engvall and obviously no no no, no. pierre is dead pierre engvall can't be your third center there's no chance like i don't even know if he can I, be a fourth line center he's he's not a center sure, like he yeah. he has never played yeah. center he they moved him there with the marlies for like 10 games they're like I mean, they would love him to be a center, but being a center is not just looking the part. It's 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 really the way your brain works and the way you can process things and make really smart defensive reads. And that's not Pierre Engvall. Like Pierre Engvall is a straight line. I like Pierre Engvall a lot as a fourth line left winger and a penalty killer. That's that's what he is. He's not a center. Like a poor I mean, man's Kasperi Kapanen. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, maybe even like, I was going to say a poor man's. Grabner. He's sort of like Mikheyev. Yeah, he's a sort of like Grabner. I think he's an NHL player, but he's not. He, like third line center is, the thing I was I was thinking about when you were talking about which line is going to get the McDavid matchup. The thing now in the NHL is you need two lines that can take tough matchups. You can't just have one because then you you don't have enough depth. You know, the teams that have one line that can take tough matchups are are not very good teams. So the Leafs are trying to build a second line. and. What's interesting, and I don't think it's been talked about enough, and it's probably should be talked about more, is that you have an eleven million dollar center that's not one of those lines. Like they're not they're they're talking about I think they came away from last season in the Columbus series, and I think they're thinking that, you know what, like Tavares either needs to play with Matthews or Marner, or we're gonna have to shelter his line a little bit, which is I, I don't know. It's it's gonna bear watching to see what kind of a year Tavares has. But the fact that well, they feel remember, like they, James has, they, they have to shelter him a little bit, I mean, that's, I don't know. Well, you remember his first year with the Leafs, like they played him against other top lines and it went like, it went okay. Like he, that, that playoff series against Boston, like the Bergeron line yeah, he won played the matchup, well. but it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, a, a blow away or anything like that. Um, there were some games that he, in uh, against that line. I can't remember what game it was. I remember I wrote about it just, and it, and it was kind of, I, the story I wrote was something like, that's why you signed, signed John Tavares, because he had such a good game against. But I, th- I if if I had to guess, I would just think that Tavares's skating and agility and speed was was not his hallmark, and it's going to make him hard, hard for him to match up against top centers on other teams as he gets older and as the league gets faster, you know, we're going to get into this when we talk about Matthews, but the NHL just keeps getting faster. And and what's prized more and more, not just among top centers, but among defensemen, among everybody is agility and speed. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's one of the only professional sports in the league where players are <clears throat> certainly in some positions are getting smaller. Um, you know, mo- most of what you see is guys. I, I guess in the NBA, are, are, are there some guys, some positions where they're getting smaller? I mean, yeah, well, now the league is getting smaller. Positions are, are mattering less. Like right. you can have, like Pascal Siakam started at center the other night. Like he's he's big, but he's he's not like brute like the old centers of the past. So well, yeah, it used to be you wanted to different. be you know six ten seven foot to be a center, right? And then teams are getting away from and that. huge, right? Yeah. All right, last so, one. I, of the do you believe, and then we'll take a break and then talk expectations. What's up? No, it's fine. I was just going to say, like, that's happening in hockey. And I, I at some point, positions might matter less in hockey, too, which would be fascinating. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> All right. Do you believe in the Leafs' new power play setup? So to refresh your people, they have broken up that that unit that they had last year with the four forwards, the four star forwards together. So power play unit one is Matthews, Marner, Thornton, Simmons, Riley. Power play unit 1A, as I'm dubbing it, is Tavares, Nylander, Hyman, Spezza, Jonas, and for it's now, supposed to TJ be- Brody. It's supposed to be 1A and 1B, not 1 and 1A. I don't know. I get to decide. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I'll change that. Okay. It's supposed to be 1A and 1B. But then who's, I mean, then who's 1B? No one wants to be 1B. It just means you have two ones. That's what the, that's what the saying means. Oh, fine. Fine. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, you know what's funny about the, the longer... I've covered hockey for a living now for 16 years, I think, 17 years. And um, the the more time I spend around it and the more time I spend talking to people in the game and whether it's people in the front office or scouts or even players, special teams is something different. And I think that in the media, we haven't done a good enough job of writing about special teams in the right way and just how uh, – <laughs> this, this sounds really dumb – how specialized it is. But like a, a power play is not just you just take a bunch of good players and put them. It, it, it's it's what position they're in and which like there can be players who aren't the greatest players at even strength who can really excel in certain positions. Like they can be a really good net front guy or they can be really good along the wall. And that's always been mm-hmm. the case. Like like someone remember someone like Kyle Wellwood was very, very good on the power play. And like they're, they're, that's always been the case where. But I think. Even more so now, when you talk to people around the NHL about power plays, it's all about it's all about like like puck movement and getting the goalie going side to side, and there's there's just a lot more uh, that goes into it. And I know you and I have tried to write about that um, at some point. You know some of the technicalities, and it, it, it we always joke that if you write about you know the technicalities of a penalty kill or a power play, the story doesn't do very well. But there's something to that. And this is my long-winded way of saying it's very complicated to build a good power play unit. And I'm sure there are some things that have gone into the thinking here that the Leafs are not telling us in why they've done it this way. Uh, And I kind of am reserving judgment until I can see it in action a little bit more. It's Social media was kind of outraged when they saw what the power play units were. Um, I would like to see Joe Thornton on the power play units. And and the one thing that I heard from talking to people about Wayne Simmons last couple of years that, that people would say was, you know, he, he's not the player he used to be. He doesn't have a ton left, but where he's good is in front of the net on the power play. And that's what people said over and over and over again. So I'm intrigued to see you put him with really good players. Even in that scrimmage, I thought he made some nice plays in front of the net. Um, maybe there's something there. So I, I think what they're doing is like an extension of training camp. They want to see what Thornton looks like with the kids um, on the power play. And they want to see what Wayne Simmons looks like in front of the net. And they want to give him a chance. So I, I'll be more definitive than you. I believe in this. And I, I advocated for this writing about it in the offseason after some of the changes that they made. I just think last year was a really good example of why there are limitations to just throwing everyone on one unit. Because we saw what happened. Like as the year went along, that one unit got stale and you had nothing on the other unit 
And I think with, with some of the stats, and I know Dom like gets upset about this, it's an oversimplification to just look at the numbers and say, well, you want all those guys on one power play unit because the numbers say so. I just don't think it's that simple. And, and I, I think a few years back when they had the two different units that were both really effective and both really different, I think that really showed why you, if you have this much talent, build two really good units because you saw like Van Riemsdyk, Bozak, Kadri, Marner, they had this really interesting chemistry and they were totally different from what you got on the other unit with Matthews and Nylander. And I think you present varying threats uh, when you have two units that kind of operate differently and you just, you, you put pressure on the opposition, but you also put pressure on the units each to compete against one another. So some nights like Matthews and, and Marner and Thornton, like Maybe they won't have it going, and maybe Neilander and Tavares will. And and I think there's a an, a way that this works that you get more out of Neilander and you get more out of Tavares. Um, so I like it. I, I I think it's smart. I I do think it's possible they go back at times to that unit from last year, but I think it makes all the sense in the world to to split it up. So that's my thought. Yeah, if you could have three units, you're right. I mean, one of the things. Uh, you go into a playoff series against a team like Columbus, and they're going to game plan for your power play to a huge degree, especially when the, your power play is a big weapon for your team. And that's obviously And they have an games. amazing penalty kill. The, the Columbus does, yeah. So yeah. The, they, the pre-scouts that they would have done, and you know what, this year is going to be kind of like a series of six playoff series spread out over the course of the year because you're playing the same six teams over and over and over again. So every team is going to see you, is it nine or 10 times or eight or nine times? I think it's nine or 10 times. Yeah. You're going to see teams like Montreal and Edmonton, Calgary teams, good coach. Like there's good coaches in this, in this division. You know, I, I really like some of, I think Travis Green's a very good coach. I think Claude Julian's an excellent coach. Um, I, I think there's a lot of smart minds even if their rosters aren't um, potentially as good as the Leafs. And I think that they're going to really game plan against the power play. So the Leafs have to step up their game and having uh, some different looks makes sense. You know, especially if the, the example you bring up is a really good one. And I'm sure people listening to this podcast, most of you will remember those units didn't look anything like one another. And it goes back to my point of talking about, you don't necessarily have to be the most effective five on five player in the world to be very good on the power play. And, mm -hmm. you know, Bozak and JVR were basically a third line on a good team at even strength, but they were elite on the power play. Like they were very, very, very good power play players. And that unit was fun to watch. It was fun to watch yes. their kind of their, their brains at work while they were on the, on the ice and some of the things they were able to do. And, 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 and the same for Matthews and, and Nylander, they, you know, they, they did. So I don't know. I, I think, I think part of the answer to this question is, do you have the cast to pull this off? Because a lot of teams don't have enough players to have two good units. And then it makes sense yep. to stack one. So what the Leafs are going to test here is, do they have enough good players to pull this off? Can that, can that Tavares Nylander unit actually be something? I think it can be. I think Nylander's an awesome power play player. I mean, he had nine power play goals last year and that was on that that stacked first unit. So like you wonder if he gets more shooting opportunities. Like Tavares didn't shoot like barely didn't to me um get optimized being with those other guys. He just he didn't have the puck very much. Like he didn't get very many shots and like from that spot in the middle like you you feel like he should be really dangerous and 
I don't know. So it's TJ Brody and and Zach Hyman and just for people listening, Spezza. the fifth member Spetsas. Yeah, Spetsas a very good power play player too. I enjoyed watching him on the. He sure. was one of the people on the second power play unit last year that actually looked like he knew what he was doing, and it'll, that'll well, be like interesting. James, just just to wrap up, like this was their second power play unit in game one against Columbus. Riley, Robertson, Kerfoot, Spezza, Kapanen. Like, there's no. there's not much scaring you there. Like, Robertson is the most the scariest guy there, and like he was playing basically his first NHL game. So the the only caveat I'll say is that we've seen Nylander on a power play two and given the puck to like kind of own it and and make the decision in the past, and it seems like he's been very effective when he's been on a power play with Matthews, but when he's the best player on the power play, I I can't think of a unit where we've seen where it's been effective. But maybe this Yeah, group, but that's maybe that's having tough Tavares, to say, right? maybe having Spezza, maybe having you know, a good net front presence in Hyman, maybe that will allow he, he like they all they need Nylander to be to be the star on that unit. They they need him to have a lot of the puck touches and make the right decision and we'll see if he can do that or not. I think he can be. And I mean, you're looking at like that unit that you're talking about when he was the star of the second unit, that was Barry Kerfoot, Trevor Moore and Kapanen. Like, it, I don't know. There's not enough there. Um, all right, James, I want to run through some expectations um, for the season for a handful of key people within the Leafs organization. We're going to look at Sheldon Keefe, Frederick Anderson, the core four and Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan. We don't have a ton of time because I also want to touch on your story about Austin Matthews, but maybe we can get to that in the core four section. Um, expectations for Kel- Sheldon Keith this year. Um, where do you think they are, given that like this is really his first full season in charge of the bench? The thing is, the expectations for the team are high, so that puts pressure on the coach naturally. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's his first full season. It doesn't matter if he hasn't been an NHL coach for a long period of time. It doesn't matter... None of that matters. What matters is that this is people believe this is going to be a good team. People believe they have a very good shot at, at winning the division. So if if they're in a battle to make the playoffs all year, if they have problems on special teams, if they you know have a lot of players underperform, people are going to point at the coach. That's just that's the way it works. And so, sometimes it's fair, and sometimes it's not fair. And you know it, this this is a real test for Sheldon Keith. And it's been interesting in training camp because he's basically said, you know, like no more Mister, no more Mister Nice Keith. Like I, I'm, you know, he's he's been much more of a taskmaster than we saw last season. Um, I think that there is a, I was going to say nasty, but that's probably not the right word. I think that there is a very uh, disciplinarian side to Keith that could come out here if he doesn't see what he wants and. He's going to have to kind of balance that with the the kind of friendly players coach persona that he also has. So I, I think it's a fascinating question. I think that um, his ability to, to innovate and to change things when things aren't working and to try unique things is going to come into play here. And whether or not he hits on, on the right things and pushes the right buttons is going to be a, a key part of the Leaf season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see like how he does keep that up throughout the year. Like if they, if they have stretches like they did last year, where they're just kind of like moseying along, how he prods them. Like, does that mean like he was pretty vocal uh, last year with the media? Like he could be pretty biting about their play, but what do you do beyond that? Like, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles some of the 
the inconsistencies. It's going to be interesting to see if like he can get this team to play better defensively. If they, this this creation of a defensive line, a shutdown line, if that works, it's going to be interesting to see how he uses Frederick Anderson. Like this is like he that's a really touchy kind of thing like how you handle a guy in a contract year who's under a lot of pressure to perform like it's it's going to be managing a lot of personalities and you're right like how he kind of goes about that um could determine like the success of their season like he's obviously very important to what's going on what's next all right what's next on my list frederick anderson and i kind of previewed it Obviously, the expectations for him are twofold. Like, he needs to be more consistent in the regular season. And he has to have, like, a, a, a playoff that doesn't leave you asking, like, why did that goal go in at that time? Like, you look at his numbers, James, from last year in the playoffs. They're very good. But that doesn't tell the story. That's not what happened. Like, at key he moments, to, he gave up bad goals. Yeah. He needs to have a better regular season. I mean, he did not. If he would have had a better regular season, the Leafs would have been in a better position and not had to play a team as good as Columbus. And true, yeah. Yes, the backups were terrible last year, like just brutal. The Leafs yes. probably had the worst backups in the league. Five on five save percentage. The Leafs were bottom five in the NHL, and some of that was the backup. But Anderson wasn't good either. They need Anderson to be a top ten, top twelve goalie, and he was not that last year. He just he he had these long funks. And I don't think Sheldon's not going to treat him with kid gloves the way it felt like Mike Babcock did at times. And the Leafs are not going to hesitate to put Jack Campbell or Aaron Dell in the net. They're they're not like they're. I think if Anderson has a really poor first month, there's a scenario here where he's the backup, or there's a scenario here where he gets traded in midseason and they they get a different goalie. I do not think that that's out of the question at all. I do. I think that Anderson this year needs to win back the confidence of his teammates and of the organization because there's a little bit I think of that's a, right. there's a little bit of a dent in that. He needs to come out and really show his strength that he can do this in a in a challenging environment. He 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 needs to prove that he's he's a he's a really good number one, not just a guy who. I don't know. I mean, it, it, I, I feel kind of odd criticizing him because his first three years were quite good overall. But I but think see, that- James, that's where I think you're 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 missing something. The delicate balance of this. He he's better than Jack Campbell. I, I like. There's nothing. There's no evidence to the contrary at this point. So they they as much as you're saying like if he doesn't play well, like they're not going to be afraid to go to the other guy. I do think that that the kid glove approach played a role in, in his success the first three years because it, it helped with his confidence. And you wonder if they're a little more, they're not as, they're not as patient with him. If, if that ends up in him being less confident and less effective, and then you're banking on Jack Campbell being a number one on a cup contender. And to this point, Jack Campbell is a backup. And so like, you're, you've got to be very, very careful like how you, you handle this whole thing with him. Next one. Yep. The core four. There's a lot of pressure on them as a unit. I think it's more like the the structure of whether this can work. If you can pay four guys that much and have a successful team, what do you think? I think you can as long as they are really exceptional players. Like If they can play up to their contracts... 
and I would say Matthews and Nylander did for sure last year. Um, yep. Marner was Marner had a lot of points, but I would not say that he played up to his contract. His contract said huge, and Tavares didn't play up to his contract. Um, whether that's because of the injury or whether that there's something more at play and there's an age related decline that started to set in already, you know, in year two of the contract. Um, I think this, this is going to be, a, yeah, I'm saying last year it set in. Oh yeah. Um, sure. This is going to be a telling year for, for Tavares. It's going to be, a, I, I think Marner's going to get back on, on track. I, I think, I think that last year was, there were just some things that, that affected his confidence and, kind of the beating that he took in the court of public opinion during the contract dispute, I, it really weighed heavily on him. If you, you talk to people who know him really well and um, I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to be okay. But you know, it can, it can Nylander do what he did last year again, you know, can be, he be, I mean, he was on pace for, I think 37, 38 goals over an 82 game season. Mm-hmm. If they would have played out like that's, that's really good. If he can do that again and be that again, while not playing with Matthews is, is another big part of that equation. That's fantastic for him. I don't have any doubts that Matthews is going to have another really strong year. So Tavares is is the question mark. I mean, is what is John Tavares? Is he the forty seven goal guy we saw in the first year, or is what we saw last year going to be more what we see? Because if that's the case, it, it's hard to justify paying him eleven million. Yeah, I think he's the one. I think he's. It's really interesting. Like you look at last year, he was on pace for like uh, over eighty two games, like thirty four goals, seventy some odd points, which is fine. But it's not like fifth best player, tenth best player in the league. Fine. And I just don't know how he, I just don't know if that guy is, is there. Like he's 30 now. Like he does, he did look pretty good in that, that scrimmage. Uh, and I do think Neilander helps him, but it's, it's really hard for someone like him to live up to that contract. But maybe like but, if he can you know- just be. Very good and not excellent. That's enough. I don't know. We're talking about Joe Thornton and like, you know, extending your window and like, look how good Joe Thornton was into his mid to late thirties, like, like pretty good. So, and we yeah, know different that players John, though, we know that John Tavares trains hard. Like we know he's all in. We know that like that. Yeah. I mean, the commitment level that he has is so, but maybe that's not, maybe it just like everybody's not the same and everyone's game isn't the same and I don't know maybe Tavares at some point you he's he's on the wing you know maybe that that shot threat that he's got that's what I've been saying forever I think that's gonna happen I don't later I don't think that that's out of the question I don't think that's out of the question and the the other thing that we haven't talked about this a whole lot I think Marner could probably play center at some point too so they do have options with this group but I I, you know I'm relatively confident in that Matthews and Marner are gonna have good years this year and Nylander, I think, probably will too. So if, if well, so let's if, briefly talk about that for a sec, James. Uh, I wrote about Marner. Um, if you haven't read that, check that out. I, I think, like you said, he's going to have a big year. I just think the clouds of that contract really bothered him last year. But let's talk too, for a second about so Matthews. Good. He's so good. Um, Matthews lost some weight. Why? <laughs> That's that's the really short version of my story. My story is about twenty five hundred words. It's I've been working on it. For, I've been working on it for weeks. Go um, check it out if you haven't. It just came out. So Austin Matthews played last year uh, at about six foot three, uh, two hundred twenty four pounds, um, and he's down to about two ten. And he went. He lost that fourteen pounds over the course of 
really four months, three and a half months. So it was quite a bit of weight for him to lose in a short period of time mm-hmm. between when the playoffs ended and, and, and December, right before training camp started. Um, the reason why he lost it is that he looked at the training regiment that Patrick Kane did two years ago before he had his 110-point season at, I believe, 30 years old, Patrick Kane was at that point, and who Patrick Kane trained with. And it's this young guy uh, from Syracuse, New York, named Ian Mack, uh, who has come up with a very unusual training regiment. Uh, Ian Mack was a basketball player. He worked for Canada Basketball. He worked for the Syracuse uh, NCAA basketball team. Um, but he's he's become kind of a guru for more and more hockey players. Patrick Kane was the first big name, but now he's working with James Van Riemsdyk. He's working with uh, quite a few of the Blackhawks. He's wor- working with Kirby Doc. Um, Austin Matthews, has become friends with Patrick Kane and he decided to check it out and he dedicated his entire off season to the, the training plan that he and Max set out for him. And, you know, it was really, really fascinating to kind of get into everything that they were doing. It was, to me, it's almost like it was, it kind of looks like Pilates or, or yoga or something like that. Like they're doing like these really kind of, I don't know if you watched any of the videos or anything like that on their website, but there, it's like he sets up a bunch of hurdles and you step over them really in strange patterns and ways. And it does not look like any kind of off-season training that I've seen NHL players do in the past. But the the key with it in, in talking to the the sports science guys and the trainers that he's been working with, the key is they want to make Matthews leaner and faster and more agile and have him be a little bit more explosive. And, and and less of just a really big, strong guy that's out there to battle Zidane Chara. That, that was the goal of the program. Okay, so go to theathletic.com and check that out. We have one more, James. I don't want to rush you. Um, Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan. Uh, I hate to, to kind of rush through this one, but we don't have a choice. We're, we're short on time. They need results. Like I, I think it's crazy if they would change management um, after this year, regardless of what happens, but if they don't have results, I don't know that that's the way it's going to go. The public pressure would just be so high. I think if they miss the playoffs and the team looks really kind of uninspiring, like the way they looked at their worst last year, I think that that would create a lot of pressure on Brendan Shanahan. It would create a lot of pressure on ownership. It would be, yeah, this can go one of two ways, you know. This could the, I, I, this team either figures it out and and kind of gives their GM a vote of confidence in their abilities, or you know they they it, it could be a train wreck. I mean, I think last year was a train wreck, and they still made the playoffs, and they still were able to pull it out of the fire, and like they have too much talent. So if you have that much talent, and they're they're right in their contention window, Matthews and Marner are twenty three years old. Like now, now is the time. Now yeah. is their time. They they need to make good on this. They've they've got a window here before their contracts are up of you know three four five years to get something done, and this is this is this is a very important year. And, and as I wrote in my column before the the training camp started, they're not a young team anymore. In fact, they're one of the oldest teams in the league. So they brought in all of these veterans to help them out and change the culture in the dressing room. And that's the big bet that that Kyle Dubas made. I agree with you. I don't think that they would make a regime change. After this season, I'm not sure that they wouldn't, James. I'm just saying I don't think they should. Right. It would have to be just the pressure would just be really high. It would have to be a train wreck. It's like you're saying, but 
like this this is Kyle Dubas's team now. Like you look at the, yeah. the team top to bottom. It's his coach. Like these are the contracts he signed. He's brought in yeah. his defensemen. Like this is this is his team. They've they've massaged it around the edges and tried to kind of balance out some of the weaknesses with more experience, more size, more toughness, quote unquote. Um so like they need some sort of result. I, I do think if they had this dominant regular season, like they were just hands down the best team in Canada and then lost in the first round, I think they could probably, yeah. like the pressure would be high, but it wouldn't be quite as high. Like that's at the at minimum what they need in, if they, they can't need, get a playoff result. Yeah, they, they would need to have a big season and then like get goaltended in the playoffs or something like that, for sure. Yeah. And I, you look at the, the summer last year and the team last year, there was still elements of the GM needing to clean up the mess from what came before. Yes. Like Cody CC's not on the team. You know, Tyson Berry, like they they were they were in a tough spot. Like they didn't have a lot of cap space to try and fill out the blue line. They're in a better position now. But but there's no more excuses. You know, there's no more excuses for Dubas. There's no more excuses for the roster. The division got easier. It should be set up really well for them to do well. All right. I agree with you. It is our time to go. Um, but if you go to the athletic, the, wait, James, can you say this? The athletic, I, I'm struggling to read right now for <laughs> some reason. Well, that's okay. You're a writer. You don't have to read. Theathletic.com slash Leaf Report. Sign up today. we got a great free trial on for people. Uh, check out that story about sports science changing Austin Matthews' body. And um, the other thing I want to say is that, yes, this is a short episode and we apologize for that, but we are doing another podcast. Not really that short, James. But I get complaints when they're short. (laughs) This counts as short. Okay. But we're doing another podcast after their first game on Wednesday. So you're going to get a double shot of us. And if you combine the two podcasts together, it's actually a long podcast. Should we call that like the overreaction pod? Because we'll just react to one game, blow everything out of proportion. Sure. Yes, for me. definitely. So check apparently check out the comments section for each episode uh, on the athletic app. Rate and subscribe the Leaf Report on Apple. And also, James, there's a new uh, athletic podcast um, that people should check out: the Athletic Hockey Show with Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian. Um, I listen to it; it's pretty good. Like, there, I think it's a it's a good league wide podcast. So Ian's people should so check good. that out. Ian, so I'm so excited that yeah, we hired Ian a pro. last week. He's 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 just a wonderful person and a, and a fantastic journalist. So it's like it's like you're a team and you acquire a star to, to come in and help you. And it's just like I don't know. I'm I'm very very happy about it. It's been great working with Ian. And so all right, well James, we will talk on Thursday after the first game against Montreal. Thank you to everyone for listening, and please stay safe. <laughs>